I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to episode 21 of The Front Free. My name is Adam Bullwood. Joining me as always is Lawrence McKenna. Hey, how you doing? Fantastic. And we also have the Statman Supreme, the one and only David O'Brien. Hi, chaps. Wonderful to have you here, guys, on this beautiful Wednesday evening when England have just completed a 100% qualifying record for Euro 2016. They're on the way to France. They beat Switzerland 2-0. Wayne Rooney is now the all-time highest England goal scorer of all time ever in history. He's beat Bobby Charlton. Um, he was on 49 goals. Gary debate Lincoln, around that. 48 goals. Scored a penalty, Dave, which I'm sure you'll agree is a fitting way to have broken the record. Yeah, well, it's fair. Yeah, he scored, what is it, so his last two goals, the 48th and the 49th, have both come from the spot. Wayne Rooney's now scored seven in, in seven competitive games in a row, and that's a, a post-war record. So Wayne has broken a lot of records. Yeah, He has indeed. He has indeed. <laughs> but Lawrence, I mean, the obvious debate here is about Wayne Rooney. Does he, the debate seems to have been, does he do, deserve to have beaten that record? People are saying he scored these goals against less than stellar teams. You know, he's sort of, do you know what I mean? It's kind of a, it feels, all, it feels unfair to Wayne Rooney, I think, um, to criticise him. I'm I'm not sure that the criticism of, is of the achievement. I think it's of the the things that maybe go along with that. Um, maybe he should be open to criticism at times as a as a public figure um, through some of the things that have been rumored to have been done by him. Um, although, again, that's a very personal judgment on someone who you know probably is more famous for things that aren't you know in the spotlight for that reason. So, um, you know what I I. I've said it time and time again, it's how the person leaves you feeling and not necessarily um, the things they've done. Um, and I think with Wayne Rooney, that's probably why we have a very different feeling between Bobby Charlton and Wayne Rooney. But I think Wayne Rooney, uh, it, it, to some extent, you know, he does leave you sort of feeling a bit underwhelmed sometimes. But then sometimes people think, are overwhelmed by him. So, I mean, do you think that has something to do with, obviously, all of, most of Wayne Rooney's goals haven't come in major tournaments they've come in these qualifying rounds these qualifying stages he I mean, was pretty think good of- in some other things i mean he's been pretty he's every time someone says oh he, he didn't deliver there there's always something else to argue well he did deliver there well let's say tell me a major tournament he's delivered in there wasn't euro 2004 when he first burst That's off it. the scene and was you know a very exciting player and people were you know before he got injured would be the, the thing at most tournaments, right? Or when he wasn't injured. He's been to three World Cups, 2006, 2010, 2014. They're all disappointments. Yes, but not necessarily because just of Wayne. Fabio Capello's team was just in general pretty fucking knackered by the time they got to the tournament, weren't they? Um, <laughs> and I think, you know, there, there were there, there are other things that you can defend Wayne for. I guess it's that it's that constant feeling of, things not coming together or unfulfilled kind of potential there with Wayne Rooney and the kind of the love-hate relationship that a lot of people have with him um, because he, he does just say some really dickish things sometimes. Or he, he, <laughs> he, he come, like, straight up, he comes across as a bit of a dick. 
Um, but not not even just in an almost ignorant way, not in a kind of like a, he looks down on people. He's there are not some glowing endorsements if you go back but to I Liverpool think, of Wayne Rooney as a character. Um, but well, again, that's another personal judgment. But that's part of it is that Bobby Charlton mm-hmm. on and off the pitch, a lot of people are going to feel represented. But then was Wayne a gentleman. Rooney, well, Wayne Rooney's possibly lost out because he was on he was on the cusp of a millennial generation who. Uh, were the first on social media, the first to be encountering the new massive sets of globalised money that comes around. And, you know, we had people before him who set him up to earn that money, but they maybe, you know, took away from his character at the same time. Dave, what do you make of criticism of Rudy? What I'm trying to get at is people are criticising the achievement in many ways because they feel like it's unwarranted. Yeah, so, well, for example, like Rooney, he, he scored one goal in 11 appearances at the World Cup. He's sort of, there's an accusation that he's perhaps like a flat track bully in many ways. You know, he scored five goals against San Marino. He scored three against Kazakhstan. But I mean, these are the teams that are up against him. As people always say, you know, you can only beat what's put in front of you. Well, I think what you obviously can say about Wayne Rooney is that he hasn't sort of lifted England to win the World Cup or to win the European Championships. And that was, was his potential. You know, obviously Bobby Charlton did lift the World Cup and it's a big thing. You know, you look at the um, World Cup in 2010, Rooney scored nine goals in qualifying, only one behind um, one of on, the Dave. top scorer. Sorry about that, chaps. Oh. Uh, behind the top top scorer in qualifying, but then when he went to the tournament, England were absolutely awful. They got booed off the pitch, if you remember. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things where Rooney has... He has nice to see your own fans booing you. It's fact, isn't it? It's fact that Wayne Rooney hasn't delivered at the top stage in, in, in for England, really. I mean, and at times for United. Yeah, and for, I mean, at times for Man United, definitely. Is it, is it a bit far to say... Wayne Rooney is the greatest England striker of all time. Yeah, absolutely. Not, but, but then, just, uh, you know, just because you get... Yeah, but, but just because you get a record does not make you the greatest striker of all time. And that's why that it harks back to the point I made at the beginning of the conversation. It's how people make you feel. People remember um, a number of strikers for a number of reasons. Um, and it's not just going to be because they set great records. The, the problem is, in the past, people uh, only really lived through their records because it was very difficult to record the other things that they did on the pitch because people only saw them. Now, people live through the videos and all those kind of things that go on. And that's what I'm saying is that he's the first of that generation who'll live through that probably. Do you think the truth is, as always, there's somewhere in the middle of, you know, there's a... There's no, a, I think, no, I think he's, I he's, want, he's done something huge like, and achieved something massive. Yeah. But that doesn't make him the, the goat. No, that doesn't make him, it doesn't make him <laughs> the greatest all the time. But also I feel like the criticism Wayne really gets is in turns a little bit unfair. It's what we've sort of been talking about for a few weeks now. When we mention Wayne Rooney, we talk about the potential, we talk about the high brand. I'm just, I'm just almost younger. bored of it. Like I just I don't yeah. care if he's yeah, the greatest yeah. of all time. He's he's a fantastic talent. He's, he's clearly a, he's, he's clearly got got a lot of things going for him on the football probably pitch. Probably the best England player of his generation, arguably. Uh, I mean yeah. what, it's also hard to say what is his generation because I mean if mm. you look who else is in his generation I mean, are we, who are we saying there? Are we saying like... Um, Milner? Aaron that Lennon? Type of what? <laughs> no, Defoe? Oh, yeah. I mean, look at the... Same, is he the same age as those guys? He, he's 29, isn't he? And Defoe, I think Defoe's about Defoe's 30. Yeah, so I, I'd have put him slightly behind that generation. Bentley. He's David Bentley's generation. <laughs> exactly. He's done more than him. I think he'll go down as the player that is the jack of all trades, master of zero positions, and that's going to be Wayne Rooney. I think he's moved around a bit too much in his career. He's never really taken a role on. Like, if you were to, how would you describe Wayne Rooney as a footballer? Isn't that the interesting thing, though, Dave? Is that there are a lot of people who there's a lot of people who sort of say um, there's a lot of people who. I, well, I guess you can almost define the way that you watch your football by the way that you watch and define Wayne Rooney. I think that's a, you know I've seen him sort of you know 2011 sorry 10 11 you know he was a number he was a number nine you know where he played his best football and everyone sort of thought that that was his best position but then later obviously after that he played number 10 behind Javier Hernandez and Berbatov and stuff where he looked very very good I think that's the issue whenever Wayne Rooney plays one position everyone goes okay but he could play this other position better and I think that is sort of that is the Wayne Rooney syndrome in a way where it's always there's something else for him I sort of feel a little bit so you know he's almost the what is he almost the Manchester United all time top goal scorer yep. maybe he's up there in the appearances list surely now yep. but obviously there's the, the mitigating circumstances in terms of he's tried to leave the club twice exactly. he hasn't exactly endeared himself to those supporters but in terms of England it just feels he's, he's achieved a great deal but he's never he's never 
he's not beloved by England fans. I, I don't know whether that's a symptom of his club career or whether. Well, I guess that's part of the problem. You can't you can't say. I mean, this is the criticism that is levelled at so many people who just look at the statistics. And people say, I mean, you know, I remember when we first started doing Football Daily, people would say, oh, don't listen to Dave, he only does statistics. But, <laughs> but, but, um, but that was the point was, all right, if you just want to look at the stat and you just go, oh, yeah, well, they scored a goal, great, they won, then fine, go ahead, that, that's your football. And some people will, for that reason, say he's the greatest of all time. But there are going to be other people who say, well, let's look at what goes on behind that. And that's where Dave comes in. And that's the point, is that if you look beyond the records and all those other things, then you see something that's incredibly underwhelming, leaves people feeling angry, leaves people feeling slightly sh- short-changed. But that's not well, just Wayne Rooney. This leads us on perfectly to, to look beyond the records, look beyond Wayne Rooney and look at the team. So looking at England, their qualifying uh, record 100% leading into Euro 2016. Looking at other teams... We've had 100% qualification records. We're looking at the likes of France in Euro 1992, Czech Republic, Euro 2000, France, Euro 2004, Germany, Euro 2012, and Spain, Euro 2012 as well. <laughs> Having a 100% qualifying record doesn't actually count for a lot. When you look at out of all those teams, Spain are the only ones who've gone on to, to win it. Yeah. So it doesn't actually... Although, I mean, how impressive an achievement is this is what I'm trying to get at. You know, obviously we've been in a group with Lithuania and San Marino and all that sort of stuff. So is it that impressive? Like, also Switzerland. That? I mean, you know, if England were to draw these final few, that would then become a disappointment to some extent. And, and then Marcus Speller, I was with today, was making the point, that's why, um, that's why A, uh, Roy looks very stressed when uh, they're playing uh, Switzerland because... England will find it very hard to break down Switzerland. And when they're actually challenged with something, they didn't look fantastic. They looked all right. Um, and he's also got the friendlies with, it. is it Germany, France? And um, there's one other name in there, but they've got three teams there having friendlies against yeah. where Roy will really test himself. And they that's where we'll see how well they'll do. They literally have won every single game, Lawrence. Yeah, but I don't, I don't, it's so fucking wild. And like, <laughs> look at that group. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm trying to get. I want you to tell me. So yeah, but it doesn't mean anything I because we know me. when England gets to the tournament, then there's then there's other stuff, there's other factors in there. But we know that exactly. this is a fantastic that's what I'm squad. So look at, I wanted look at to get Kane. Look at Kane. Look at, look at Oxlade-Chamberlain. <laughs> like, look at uh, Walcott. Look at Sterling. Look at all those guys who are fantastic players but we don't know what where they're going to be come the end of the season i mean they could have had a fantastic champions league winning season one of those sets of players um but you know then you've got a fantastic goalkeeper just behind them in joe hart and you know a number of really great things but that's not to say that other teams don't have the same i mean look at that germany team (laughs) (laughs) look at the spain team like lawrence there is the real challenge for england not this qualifying group is it potentially the friendlies where they're playing Spain, France in November, playing Germany in March. Is that going to be maybe a little bit more of a test, a bit more of a measure of how they're going to do in the Euros? Yeah, that'll definitely be more of a test, but still, you know, we're already getting hyped up about them having a 100% record in the group. Um, and now we're going to go to these friendlies with Spain, with France, with Germany. And quite frankly, you know, if we do get a draw or we do nick a win here, it's not going to be do, to do with the, you know, we're not going to dominate these games. That's what I'm trying to say here. England are going to go to the, the, the sort of tournament and they should be as this underdog. You know, the, you look at the Spain squad, it's ridiculous. You look at the France squad, it's a lot better than the England squad. And then the German squad, it's all a lot better than England. The quality in those squads is, you know, sevenfold. You think about those Spain players, how many England players could get in that Spain team? How many England players could get in the France team? How many England players get in the German team? It's this thing where we've got to compare ourselves like that and I still think we have no philosophy. We've got a coach that's, uh, you know, he doesn't have a philosophy either and it's, it's an issue. I like it. A damning judgment. It's not <laughs> damning, it's just saying it's going, to take, it's going to take a lot of things falling into place whereas other people don't so, seem to be leaving it so much down to chance. Okay, so looking at it then, you know, we're looking past the qualifiers, looking past the friendlies. Obviously, us, the three of us, I don't think we rate England's chances very highly in the actual tournament itself, perhaps not unfairly. There's also a perception in, I feel like in the last few years there has been a perception in England itself. There's been almost a, usually you think the public are right behind England. There's a sort of this over-optimistic over view of how England are going to do in tournaments, but there is a bit more realism creeping in ever since that 2010 World Cup failure. 
that uh, <laughs> there is a bit more prag- pragmatism about it. We can all sort of take a step back and go, okay, England are pretty shit. So we're not, we're not expecting a lot out of Euro 2016, are we? No. Um, no, I think, I think we should. I think you know, the expectation should be, mm-hmm. there should be some expectation there. Because the expectation is different to, uh, you know, the expectation should be, come on, let's go and do something here. That's not to say that England shouldn't therefore go and do something. It's just to say, look, when they don't, or if they don't, then, you know, don't be too surprised. But the problem is that almost keeps them in the purgatory. England are in somewhat of a football purgatory right now, I think, because they don't quite know how to get to the next place, but they are definitely not out of the last place. And they, I mean, to some extent, that's partly the problem of Rooney, is yeah. what would this what would this England team look like? What kind of shape would it have if Rooney wasn't in it? And you, well, you've got to say it would be quite an exciting shape. Fast, very, well, yeah, fast. Dave, Dave, fast, a think, different kind of football. Obviously, yeah. we're a long way away. Who knows what's going to happen over the course of the season? But what would you say is the best sort of lineup, the best sort of setup for England going into next into the tournament next summer? Is it Wayne Rooney up front? Eleven players up front, definitely. No, is it two up front? Is it Wayne Rooney up front as the figurehead? What would you say, in your opinion, is the best sort of setup that Hodgson needs to be looking at? It's going to be, you know, it's just you're going to have to play on the counter attack, I think, and that's where the pace comes in. Like the likes of Sterling, uh, Walcott, and Chamberlain are going to be absolutely massive. I think you'd play maybe Chamberlain on the right, and then maybe Fabian Delph on the left. Uh, you know, John Joe and whoever's going to be in the middle. I think the defense isn't really good enough, but I think you've got to you've got to sit, you know, go to these big games. You've got to sit back and you've got to hit, have hit them with explosive pace. You know, those, the European teams, Spain and Germany, they always fear Theo Walcott. They always fear someone that's really, really quick. And that is what we've got to play with, really. You know, Ross Barkley's quite good on the counter-attack as well. That's, got to, that's kind of what we've got to do. We've got to soak up the, soak up the opposition's um, possession and then hit them on the break. But then you look at our defence, is that good enough? Is Gary Cahill and Chris Smalling going to have as good seasons as they had last season? You know, there's massive, like Lauren said, it's, there's massive question marks between now and at the end of the year. But, you know, there's always hope. There is always hope. Not massive hope, but I mean, as we say. Uh, Lawrence, what do you think is the one main area that England need to work on, that Roy Hodgson needs to be looking at over the course of these friendlies in order to improve for that tournament? Is it up front with Harry Kane potentially coming in as the main man alongside Rooney? Is it midfield where we've got problems? Is it the back where we've got people like Cahill, Small and Jagielka as our main, you know, our main defenders? That's right. I do feel like it's partly the pace of England's play. I do find it a little bit pedestrian at times. Um, I mean, very often you find that they have to switch the ball to be able to get across uh, a side and the ball just doesn't move fast enough. Mm. And you just sort of think, but you know what? You'd be a way more effective side. And there are runs being made, which, you know, almost should be unlocking defences, but they're not because the ball's not moving fast enough. Um, And I'm not talking about uh, physical f- physics here. I'm talking about you know actually just moving the ball around the pitch faster and having a bit more control of it over that. Um, there just seems to be a lot of sleeping on the ball sometimes. I mean, within mm. a couple of seconds tonight, I think within a couple of minutes tonight, you know, it was John Joe Shelby was caught on the ball by uh, by a lot of Swiss by one of the Swiss players. You know, there was th- there's so many times you sort of look <clears> and you think, you know, what there's a reason why they're doing well against this smaller side because the smaller team doesn't have to deal with it the England movement, but against the bigger sides, they can just soak up that movement and they're fine. And that's the problem, I think, is that in midfield, and that's why John Joe Shelby was actually quite good when he finally lit things up because the ball, the ball that he has, he has quite incisive balls. Um, and, and so, you know, it, it, was, it was interesting to watch in the end because he was sort of feeding it out to the people who sort of sat at um, almost like at a 45 degree angle out from him and that made it quite exciting. So at times when the ball moves quickly, and that's mm-hmm. great. But I mean, it's the same things that people seem to be levelling at Hodgson every time he's at every club, is that they get a little bit bored of the football. They're, the methods are slightly old, and therefore it doesn't motivate the players to the same level. And, you know, things look fine, but they don't look revolutionary, or they do not look to the level where they're going to make you as savvy as another um, set of players. And therefore you're almost relying on some of the key individuals out on the pitch to do things, and that doesn't always happen. And that's the problem is, that you, you know, look at the other teams is, you know, when you think about them relying on key individuals, you're really saying, well, it's those key individuals then unlocking the strengths of a side. So England, uh, obviously now qualified, looking elsewhere around Europe, France, obviously, have automatically qualified as the hosts for the tournament. Um, Czech Republic. They did well there. 
They did well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Czech Republic have also joined them. Uh, the Six straight European Championship uh, after their win over Latvia. Yeah. It's their sixth win from their opening eight matches. Uh, we've also got Iceland, who had now uh, secured qualification. Tiny, tiny uh, Iceland. Pulled off a double against Netherlands. We'll come on to them. A double. Let's just say that. A double. Mad. <laughs> um, we've also got Austria as well. The final team who have now already secured qualification. Uh, they hammered Sweden 4-1. Uh, so they're top of Group G at the moment. Other teams who are sort of looking to qualify have got Wales, who are actually unbelievably, in many ways, above England in the FIFA World Rankings Didn't now. They haven't qualified... <laughs> Sorry, what were you saying? Doesn't mean anything. As it is, doesn't yeah. mean anything. Yeah, I mean, really, right, really, Lawrence, it doesn't. Though. I mean, world rankings don't really mean anything, do they? I mean, especially, they especially in especially in the UEFA coefficient. Um, but but they all are, right, um, they are top of Group B at the moment. Um, they drop points uh, against Israel, but they are they are in a good position to qualify, Dave. That they're in an amazing position. Yeah, but they're not. They, they're not there yet. But they are in a very strong they, position. Yeah, I think they've got to pick up one point or two points or three points, yeah. something like that. Not a lot. Mm. And if they win one of their last two games, they're, they're through. It would be a lovely story, wouldn't it? And you see the likes of Bale and, Bale and uh, Aaron Ramsey being the two main men and then all the other players sort of being functional around that. But no, it's, it's good. Gary uh, Speed. Don't forget Gary Speed in there as well, yeah. I'm surprised about like uh, you know is it Chris Coleman's manager. He wasn't that good at Fulham, but he's sort of done very well with Wales national he's, team. He's picked up from a wonderful basis that was built. Yeah, yeah. Yes. They're away at Bosnia Herzegovina next uh, in October, and they're at home to Andorra. So you'd have to you'd have that's to expect for a point to, there, eh? Yeah, they'd have <laughs> to expect to qualify, which is fantastic. Bos- Bosnia are doing fantastic. I mean, Bosnia are a great side. So um, elsewhere around Europe, the Netherlands. As I mentioned there, uh, Austria have uh, qualified automatically from their group. But Netherlands, beaten by Turkey, they're sort of struggling to... I mean, Dave, what have you seen in Netherlands? Where is it all going wrong for them at the moment? Because they they could squeak in into that third place, that sort of uh, playoff place to qualify. But they, they pretty much have... They've missed out on automatic promotion as it stands. I think there's just a, there's a few too many questions at the moment with this Netherlands team. You know, who's the main striker? Who's the main creator midfielder? Is they going to play a midfield three with an inverted tip or a uh, defensive midfielder? You know, the defence isn't as good as they were performing at the World Cup. You know, obviously Van Hal played that really dodgy system, the three-five-two. Everyone moved away from that back to the traditional four-three-three, but just seems a bit. It's all wrong at the moment for Netherlands. Obviously, where Hiddink was in charge, wasn't he? And then he got sacked, and now Danny Blind has has been uh, you know probably will get sacked as well after the tournament but I think that it's is harsh just on him though, isn't it? a little bit but you, they should be beating a team of, of Turkey's quality you know Turkey have Arda Turan, Karloglu and Turfan in midfield a youngster that are coming through um, and yeah, they're not that good and they've turned over a team with you know uh, Van Persie, Schneider that's the that may be the question that they're not moving on yet. They haven't moved on from that last generation. But the, yeah, exactly. The first two names that you put out there as well. I mean, yeah. there are stories about Schneider and Van Persie as just uh, divisive characters within that squad. And it's strange when they get together that things disintegrate at times. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, it, you know, that that's probably why Van Gaal was such a great guy to bring them all together was because, you know, it was almost rally around a cause that is, you know, if you all do this, We'll all get something out of it, you know, um, and it's a bit strange because you, so often the culture in, uh, in in that country has been based around individuals basically shouting their own praises, um, mm. and that's that's a bit that's a bit much, I think. Um, too many people who want to be Cruyff. Yeah, <laughs> who want to be Cruyff. That, yeah, that, and that's the the story of uh, the story of uh, the Netherlands this season. Did you guys catch the Memphis Depay? Put I think they put four cracking balls yeah. in the box. Yeah, I think um, I, uh, just, they, you I know, think I saw that on your Squawker Facebook day. They didn't put any of them away. Crazy. Scotland Lawrence as well. Things are not looking too rosy for them. Beaten by Germany, three uh, two at Hampton Park. But you know, they're, they're probably not going to qualify, are they? What Strachan has done with that side is pretty incredible to even get into that position to play Germany in the first place um, and be doing that. It gave them a good game as well. It gave them yep. a fantastic game. Um, I think tactically Strachan has brought them together to a point where um, it, it, it's not basic 
um, but they they have a very clear game plan, um, and you know, th- there's no shame in that. Actually, I think that's that's something that a lot of people don't extol the virtues of, especially when it comes down to these teams who need to get the best out of individuals who probably aren't the same standard as you know at the Germany side. And then he knows who his players are that he can trust, the core players, and then he's rotate. He's literally kept a very similar squad throughout. Um, and then rotated a couple of names in, and then the names that he bought in this time, Griffiths, etc., um, were the the kind of guys that you thought, well, yeah, he's he's bringing those guys back, and you could see exactly why. He's been very clear with the Scottish media. I think he's really rallied everyone around that side. Um, and the the best thing about them is that they've not tried to play beyond their means within this, um, and therefore been exploited. If anything, they have exploited sides who uh, took Scotland for granted at times. Um, and they've gone out there and got some results which should put them so close to the top of the group that they could still get third. And it would be lovely if Scotland got that third place playoff. Um, and I think that I was listening to the Ramble earlier in the, nice. earlier in the week and they were saying Scotland. it would be typical of Scotland get that third place playoff. Who do they meet? Probably the Netherlands. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, what do you do from there? They'll be in trouble. Um, well, maybe not. Um... I'm Sandra. And I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Moving on then to looking ahead to the actual tournament itself. So we sort of almost discounted England there earlier. But who do we think is actually going who's got a chance of actually winning the whole thing? Obviously Germany, the World Cup winners, they're probably up there. France as the as the host nation up there. But it's it's been expanded to twenty four teams. So Dave, who do you think is gonna be up there at the, at the to win that tournament? Well, I definitely think those two, the, in terms of the final, that's pretty much written already, is it not? Spain versus Germany. Germany have looked really, really good. Thomas Muller has been on absolutely fire this season. He's played five games, got scored eight goals and got three assists this season for club and country. So he's he's sort of the main man. He's playing from that right-hand side. Again, Germany have got great fluidity uh, against uh, you know Scotland, we saw, interchanging positions between Ozil, Grunduan, uh, Muller, Mario Goetze, you know, with the backup of Bastian Schweinsteiger and Tony Cruz in... In midfield, Emery Chan at right back. You know they've got so much quality there. Similar yeah, me, to Spain. I was about to ask you about Spain. So this is the team who, in the they crashed out of Brazil uh, the, the World Cup last year. What has changed from between then and now? Because obviously in Group C they haven't had uh, much of a challenge in terms of teams like Slovakia, Ukraine, and they're with them. They still do they not still have that weakness up front. They still lack obviously Diego Costa's there, but they not lack a bit of firepower. I think I think Diego Costa's been pretty poor since he you know moved over to to Spain. He's not been great. I watched um watched a game with I think it was Slovenia. Was it Slovenia this weekend? Um, you know a great great pass from uh, David Silva to Jordi Alba. They scored a penalty Iniesta. But uh, you know Diego Costa didn't look too great. The, obviously the issue that we have with Spain sometimes they can be a bit too narrow. I think if um, Navas does retain his position for Man City that he could be that you know wide outlet for them you know you've still got Pedro in there they've got they've still got such such quality and you know that they're just a tournament team and they can just turn it on sorry it was actually Slovakia that they played on uh, on Saturday apologies okay. but yeah I do, I do think that they potentially do lack something up front if Diego Costa doesn't get back to that form that we saw last season I want to talk very briefly about a little bit of transfer news oh, before we move on to talk about <laughs> I thought it was a little bit interesting because the, Already, the window's only been closed for a week yeah the transfer the rumour mill is already beginning to gear up, which seems almost unbelievable, but it has. So the big rumour this week, Lawrence, which I want to ask you about, because I think you know you'll, you'll enjoy this, is uh, Riyad Mahrez from Leicester City. Yeah. Joined for something like half a million. Yeah. All right. Liverpool, 15 grand. He's on his way to Barcelona, Lawrence. 
Barcelona are weighing up a swoop, a swoop, no less, for Leicester City attacker Riyad Mahrez, seeing as Pedro has moved to Chelsea as a potential replacement. What do you make of that? Um, I would say it's early, um, but I would also say, you know what? Don't I say the Daily Mail have made it up? No, you know what? I'm going to say this is the one move that has to happen this January. Um, It is vital to all clubs within Europe that it happens. If it doesn't happen, the economy may collapse. Um, And what we are finding there is that we will will also we'll go into the final days of um, the Mar resolution. Very well said. Now, Dave, let me come to you with this bit of transfer uh, gossip. This is a little bit more legitimate in many ways. So before the the transfer window closed, Seamus Coleman was being linked for a move to Paris Saint-Germain. Now, apparently that move isn't dead. PSG are going to come back for him in January, according to the Daily Mirror of all sources. I mean, on the face of it, this looks slightly ridiculous, but maybe it makes sense, Dave. Yeah, I don't know. They've, they've, who do they just bought? They bought the lad from Monaco at left back, um, and then they've got Sergio Aguero, whatever he's called, at right back. So they're pretty, really? they're pretty good at fullback at the moment. Um, you saying Daily Mirror made this up as well, Dave? I, I, maybe they, they might have done, but. You know, Seamus can play on both sides. He could be a good squad player for them. He's a right. good goal-scoring fullback. Let me come to the final bit of transfer news then, because there might be some truth in this. So, Isco. Yeah. Real Madrid. Yeah. If yeah. you say Spurs, no, I'm not saying Spurs. <laughs> I'm not saying Spurs. But this is a player that Real Madrid fans love. Yeah. Right. But he's sort of got... He's got his price, hasn't he? He's got his price. He hasn't got, he hasn't got like an obvious place in it. He's not undroppable. He's oh, not yeah. Ronaldo. He's not, you know, Ben's mother, the number one striker. Yes, he's probably the biggest, yeah. Juventus. <laughs> no. They're coming in for Isco. This is like he's deal 20, or no deal, isn't it? 23 years old. Yeah. He's decided he's going to leave the club due to a lack of opportunities. Will Real Madrid the, set him 23? Man. Um, Manchester City are also long-term admirers. Are you telling me that AS have made this up, Lawrence? I'm... Adam, no. uh, I think they've made some of it up. um, But I think... I don't know which bits. Um, We all know that agents are pretty pretty much the day... The moment that the transfer window closes, uh, they start calling people and going, (laughs) you never guess what. Um... I would say it would be a fantastic move for someone like Juventus. Really amazing to see what they would do with him in that formation. Um, although, well, Lawrence, you are worried of, uh, about Allegri at the moment. Well, you know they they have conceded three goals yeah. this season and only scored one. They've lost both their games. They're currently playing at a three-five-two. You know the diamond is there at the back, moment, isn't it, Dave? So it's gonna. I think this Isco move is on. You know, put your money on it. Hundred percent. Need some creativity, don't this, they? Yes. Yeah. Wrap up the uh, legitimate, very well sourced transfer news there. Let's put an end to it there. Well, we'll while on. we're on transfers, though, Adam, there was that interesting uh, report, wasn't there, this week? Lawrence, let me move on to it after the break. Transfer. Oh, come on. Let the people wait for it, this amazing uh, nugget that's coming up. I think you've just over egged that one, but all right. <laughs> <laughs> so, Lawrence, listen, I think this is a, a fantastic talking point that you want to bring up here. Yeah. Talk to me. Talk to me. We, we all heard. Uh, I mean, if you want to release a report, then what you want the report to have is a big headline, which is going to basically oh, make yeah. everyone go, oh, yeah. wait a minute. Wow. What? And this one was, and it was a good one, overpriced players. And everyone goes, hold on a minute. We can actually find out if someone is overpriced. And they go, well, it is only a report. And people go, shut up. I'm reading the report. Right? Now... Benteke is the third, allegedly, the third most overpriced transfer this summer. Anyone else want to take a guess at the Aren't other two? Overpriced. 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 Okay, I mean, 32 million sounded reasonable, but that's maybe the market we're in, eh, Adam? Okay, obviously, Anthony Martial. Come on. Good. He's in. Yeah, thank you. Thank good, you. good guess. He was number thank one. You. That's the obvious one. 
He was the most. Oh. He was number one, the most overpriced this summer, is what people are saying. I honestly couldn't tell you number two. I couldn't. Please tell me. Please enlighten. Dave, Dave, take a wild fricking guess. Uh, maybe someone City bought. Yes, but is it Sterling or is it De Bruyne? Ooh. Uh, you know, if I was stupid and I'd written the report and Kevin De Bruyne was <laughs> overpriced, I'd probably rip the report and start again, to be honest, mate. But is it De Bruyne? It is De Bruyne, Dave. You win. Well, You're a stupid idiot. I am an idiot. Um, Biggest idiot around. Because what you, you don't have start- to acknowledge okay. is that then Sterling, allegedly, according to the report, is underpriced. Let's set this out then. Lawrence, so what you're saying is there's a report by the CIES Football Observatory. And what they're saying is they've released a report on the top 10 overpriced footballers from the summer and also the top 10 underpriced footballers, right? So let me run through the list of the top 10 overpriced just for the uninitiated. So they've gone for number one, Anthony Martial. Number two, Kevin De Bruyne, who we just said there, maybe I'm telling. Number three, Christian Benteke. Number four, Angel Di Maria. Number five, Arda Turan. Number six, Nicholas Otamendi. Number seven, Alessio Romagnoli. Uh, Roma to AC Milan. We've got eight, Amin Abdembayor. I probably said that wrong. Uh, nine, Petr Cech. Petr Cech. Because Petr Cech, I mean, that, that's an interesting one, isn't it? Because what is Petr Cech therefore valued at? <laughs> and ten, even Perisic all spoke to Inter Milan. That is an interesting list. I'd love to know, like, what exactly have they based it on? Because, like, I look at a lot of the CIES football observatory stuff. They seem to know what they're talking about, but this list just seems a little bit... Well, Dave, seems, Dave disagrees. Dave, Dave, Dave's lips disagree. I, I, I always enjoy their list. I think they've got, you know, I always look at when they value the players, they always look at the, you know, they give a market value to a player. And it seems pretty, you know... Seems pretty accurate, but this yeah. seems a little bit off. I don't know. So they do the the factors. Let's say the key indicators is age, position, contract, international status, experience, performance, achievements, results, competition level. Okay, you're thinking, oh, pretty decent. That's what I'd use. They're all the factors I would use. And then you go to their list of most valuable players from last season. So what they how they're working out these overpriced, underpriced um, values is they are using their um, predicted value of the player and then they're taken off the actual fee so number one of their um, you know highest value player is Lionel Messi we can't argue with that brilliant you know that's that's expected any model would tell you that but number two is Eden Hazard Oof. so Eden Hazard is ranked above Sergio Aguero Neymar Cristiano Ronaldo Luis Suarez seems legit Robert... I just, Good, I just so, are you telling me that Hazard isn't worth more than Neymar? Is that what you're saying? I, I think I might be saying that. I'm considering that a player that's never scored 20 goals domestically um, isn't worth as much as Neymar, who scored a shitload of goals last year. <laughs> a shitload. I believe that was actually how they were measured as well. So, um, <laughs> it almost becomes... Where, although that is very interesting about Anthony Martial, yeah, Kevin De Bruyne, is he overpriced? Where it actually becomes interesting is having Raheem Sterling is number one Underpriced. The top ten of underpriced footballers this so summer. How how underpriced was he though? That's that's my question. What? So Raheem Raheem Sterling's value was seventy three point seven million to eighty one million. Exactly. So his value was above Diego Costa, Alexis Sanchez, Hamad Rodriguez, Luis Suarez, Antoine Griezmann, Cesc Fabregas, Isco, Harry Kane, Gareth Bale. Whoa, 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 wait a second, wait a second. Harry Kane is valued more than Gareth Bale on this list, and Brilliant. Coutinho. Is valued more than Tony Cruz. Is that what you're talking about? What's your problem, Dave? I don't know what your problem is. Yeah, I just don't know. Dave, are you saying that this this list is, I don't know, bollocks? Maybe, Lawrence. Maybe I don't. Or or is it just a different kind of scale, Dave? A scale that maybe you're not used to? But do you think, like, I've seen people say, uh, for example, Football Daily, the channel I used to work with, they were saying that Raheem Sterling was a bargain this summer and that caused a lot of contention in the comments people saying what are you talking about you know 49 million absolutely ridiculous to say he's a bargain people saying after those first three games of the season that Raheem Sterling looks worth every penny you know this is a player who could prove to be 50 million is never a bargain Adam but let's put it this way (laughs) if Liverpool wanted part of it would have been also right and obviously you know he's always going to leave on a um, bad terms if he wants to force his move out the club 
Liverpool could have sold him for more if he if they'd have had better terms with the player. But the fact yeah. was that it was very public that people knew that Raheem Sterling um, wanted to go. Whereas if if it had been clubs trying to tempt him away, Liverpool would have got better value for money for Raheem Sterling. Yeah. It was so it's that simple. Like best so, but at that point, then people are then saying, "Well, you know, then he looks like reasonable value." So it's all about the perception there. I, I, I think it's. Um, I think it, I, I'm, I'm inclined to agree, really, that actually he was worth more than fifty million. But I, I also think, you know, fifty million is a fair price to get for any player who's young and English. Under price. Can't you, remember, Adam? You can't buy potential. You can't buy potential. In many ways. Uh, looking at other, the, the, the top 10 underpriced footballers, uh, number two is uh, Mapu, Yanga, Mbiwa, Newcastle, Jerome, <laughs> Percy, Manchester United defender, Bache. This has got oh, to be football. in percentage, okay, surely. Question here. Okay, Dennis so Morris, not, Van Percy, sorry, Adam, Van Percy, you're not just paying the four million fee, you're paying £300,000 per week in wage. Yeah. Again, That's breaks their fucking report. It's not taken into account, I assume. That's a good point, though. That is a very good point. Um, also featuring is Dennis Suarez, Nathaniel Klein, Mattia Destro, Dennis uh, Sergio Garcia, Connor Wickham, Sunderland to Crystal Palace, underpriced, apparently. It's, sure it's got to be percentage. Uh, yeah. Gerard Delufeu, Barcelona to Everton, and Juanmi Malaga to Southampton. It's an interesting list at the end of the day. I mean, it created a good discussion. It created a good debate amongst us, at the very least. I don't know about that, mate. I think uh, that was an overpriced debate. I do think... Um, <laughs> so, I think in many ways. I think what, what, we're, what we're saying is that um, the perception of value within the league and the amount of money that's being spent right now... Whoa, is... whoa, wait, wait. Sorry, sorry, mate. I've just seen something. Emre oh. Chan is worth more than fucking David Alaba. Well, mate, I mean, that is... I, 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 Dave and I both know that's the truth. So this, <laughs> this report is real. <laughs> Come on, I mean, Emery, Emery Chan has a great amount of potential in there, but he's not worth more than David so, Alaba. Yeah, but David, David Alaba's only 22. David Alaba. David Alaba. He's, he's one year older and he's placed with Bayern Munich and he's sick at, fo- sick at football and he's sick at life. <laughs> I would imagine that is actually what it says on his business card. He's sick at life. He is, oh, he's, he's sick at football. Do you want to buy him? Nah, good, thanks. I mean, yeah, it's harsh. It's harsh on De Bruyne. It's harsh on Benteke to the River Price. I mean... That's interesting. It's all it's all it's all within a scale, isn't it? And I I do think that they're probably being weighted depending on where which club they're at as well. Should we move on to the uh, final talking point? Uh, Dave has suggested. Go on, Dave. Yeah. So um, the transfer window was a was a sad one. You know, mixed. Lots of players went that didn't want to leave Man United, and I think my question to you two is. Which players that left to- left Tottenham and Liverpool did you not want to see go, but they were sold, and they're off now? Oh. They're never going to come back ever Who again. Can I think of? Uh, well, Dave, why don't you talk to us first through Manchester well, United? Because I feel like you know you've got some prepared. This has all come from Shinji Kagawa's excellent start to the season, and with Man United lacking a number ten at the moment. Um, that can sort of play that second striker role, that can get into the box and score. Shinji Kagawa has one of the best first touches in world football, and the lad can finish. I just don't understand why LVG got rid of him. Then there's Rafael, you know, another excellent fullback that's had his injury problems that's gone as well. You know, Hernandez is another one. Then you look a bit earlier on, like PK leaving Manchester United, Giuseppe Rossi. Then again, back to the LVG era of Di Maria going and RVP going. Di Maria obviously was a difficult one, but it's a player that I loved in world football before he came to Manchester United. I was so excited. And then it was sort of like chucked out the club, ruined, gone. Just one of those things where football, sometimes it's a sad game. We both know what my top answer is here, right, Dave? (laughs) Yeah, I think it did start with an X and end in an O. It, It is. It's... XO. Uh, XO. Xabi Alonso. Alonso. Yes. Um, Xabi should just never have left Liverpool in the first place. And the fact that at the time they were talking about replacing or moving someone into a similar position called Gareth Barry was, I think, perplexing for a lot of people. Um, yeah. However, at the time, maybe he needed freshening up. Um, Mascherano would definitely be another yep. one for Liverpool. Uh, I, I think it's basically deconstructing that Benitez team really would be... Um, Rafa Benitez first of all uh, leaving the club was probably another one um, Alonso Mascherano Torres what about Torres did you think Torres was it the right I mean, time for it Torres was to definitely, leave definitely the right time for Torres yeah. to leave um, but I mean had had 
the right people remained around him, I wonder what what Torres would have done. Um, could you also say? I mean, Andy Suarez Carroll. is another one. Yeah, you know what? Andy Carroll under another manager would have been a good one. <sighs> um, really? And then you probably say also uh, Suarez. Sterling's definitely one for Liverpool. Mm-hmm. Um, you also feel like Robbie Fowler left Liverpool a little bit too early. Um, who else? No defender, anyone like that, though, really. Really, it's just players in that position. I mean, no, that's a what? reasonable list already, isn't it? Yeah. To leave Liverpool. What about Arbeloa? Uh, oh, absolutely, mate. Arbeloa's uh, fantastic. I mean, he solved so many of Liverpool's right-back problems. And for some reason, again, Liverpool were fiending after Glenn Johnson for £17 million. Um, but Arbeloa <laughs> comes at relatively little value in that time. And he became mm. such a fantastic player. People kind of forget that. About, I mean, if you look good, at some yeah. of those picks... Those are all players who have gone on to become world-class players. Yeah. And essentially, they became that at, at Liverpool. I mean, maybe they'd have done that at whatever club, but people criticise Benitez's buying very often. But those are some fantastic players in there. I had, Pepe um, Reina. Sorry, Pepe Reina. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Basically, all the Spaniards well, are at Liverpool. <laughs> Please, you should have seen. There's, yeah. uh, there's been quite a few spurs for Spurs over the years. Obviously, the, the obvious ones. Gareth Bale. Oh. Luka Modric. But number one, Raphael van der Vaart. Oh, mate. Big fan of van der Vaart. I think he was fantastic when he was at the club. Uh, had a nice partnership going with old uh, Peter Crouch there. Big man, little man sort of uh, partnership going on. Shame to have seen him leave. Andre Villas-Boas didn't think he was... uh, wasn't going to work out. That was a big shame. If you want to play a pressing game, Rafael Vendavar is not the guy for that. <laughs> to be fair, he's not your man, but he's, he's, a, he's a precocious talent. He, oh man, he's got some great goals. He was with us when we were in the Champions League all too briefly <laughs> back in, back in 2011 as well. But um, Stephen Corker is another one who I'd like to... I feel like we've made a bit of a mess up selling Stephen Corker. I feel like he's going to come good um, in the not too distant future. Um, what about Jermaine Defoe? Yeah, I mean, he was playing well at the time. We sold him to Toronto, didn't we? Like yeah. January, what was that, 2014 or something? He was playing well at the time, but I can't say, I don't think we missed him massively. Lawrence, how's, how's your job going, by the way? Oh, uh, yeah, no, that's, I had to quit. Um, I it turns out he, I couldn't. Did he I, give you too much to do? Yeah, well, it was just it was just all the gardening. <laughs> Develop the apps. The gardening. The gardening was the issue for me, uh, and I, it was also the constant just saying you are you are amazing. Yeah, <laughs> I just it was just difficult has, to do. Has Jermaine Defoe come out and discussed this? It's very easy, really. It's low hanging fruit, really, isn't it? Um, I, I'm gonna say uh, I'm gonna say I feel sorry for Jermaine that basically he really? got caught advertising on a crap site. He said, uh, do you want to hear his response? Go, uh, go for it, yeah. To, yeah, to me, apply for the job. <laughs> Enthralling. Sunderland striker defends personal assistant job ad. He said, mm, the job would support my family who have been trying to run my foundation. It's things like organising the gala dinners to try to raise funds, organising the trips to St. Lucia so I can do my charity work and get the people over there who were needed to make the whole thing run. I don't see why it's such a big deal, to be honest. I wouldn't have called it a PA because I'm not someone who would ever say, oh, this is my PA. But that's not to say I don't need someone to help my family do some of the things I can't. And there's a lot of people around nodding going, yeah, Jermaine, no one's calling what you listed there a PA. All right? <laughs> he said, don't I'll hold my hands up. <laughs> I can't do admin. I can't do admin or accounts or stuff like that. I need help to do that, and hopefully that help will in turn help to change lives in Saint Lucia. That's my passion away from football, but I need help to do that. Am I really doing something that bad? A boy from East London trying to get on in life and do good things. Oh fucking hell! Give me I the rest. I can't do this or I can't do that. But yeah, I do pack my own fridge, and yeah, I do go and get shopping well, where I live brilliant. most days with my girlfriend. Oh, that actually. That coincides with a picture that he put posted on Twitter this week. Did he get Check that out if you've not. He's going shopping. You're, oh, so, bad man. you're so down to earth, Jermaine, that what you didn't realise was that, and you are you are very down to earth. You see, he does seem like a nice guy, but you are so down to earth that you posted five people's jobs as one job. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, I don't want to patronise you, but when you say I'm just trying to make it. Yeah, oh, all right. If you do want to make it, you have to speculate to accumulate. You can't just expect one other person to pick up on everything you've ever done. He's just trying <laughs> to make it, Lawrence. 
He's just yeah, trying. So to... am I, Adam? It's a tough, but I it's don't... a tough game, Lawrence. Yeah, no, you're right. It's a tough game, but it will become harder if you do not acknowledge that you cannot have one person doing the gardening, kitchen, PA, app design, and everything else. And wiping his ass. Yeah, I mean that. To be fair, that was it was a, yeah. it was a moment away from that. It was sheets away. Right, let's wrap up there, guys. That was a that wonderful was a bit of a, episode. A bizarre one. Bit of a bizarre. Yeah, I think that's as good a place as any to end it. But um, thank you very much again for listening to the Front Free episode 21 there. Stay tuned this Friday. We've got a special hour-long Q&A session coming out uh, on the on the podcast uh, with, with ourselves. They're answering all your questions. We try to get through as many as we can. But thank you for listening to this week's episode. Dave, where can the good people find more of your work? Just on Twitter, Squawkadave, S-Q-U-A-W-K-A-D-A-V-E, on Twitter. <laughs> and Lawrence, where can they give people find more of your work? Um, at Lostcast, L-O-Z-C-A-S-T, but I can't encourage people enough to mm. follow the front three. We are very yes. close Ooh, to yeah, thousand followers. We might have to do something special when we reach a thousand followers. Give something away, maybe. Ooh, give ooh. something away. Like the way you think, I like that. I like that. Maybe we'll give away a pair of football boots when we... Um... Oh, we're not. Oh, yeah. We're, we're not, not loaded, but uh, yeah, maybe <laughs> we're not that, <laughs> yeah. We'll go down local sports direct, won't we? There's yeah, no exactly, adverts yeah. on this podcast yet, if you haven't noticed. But, yeah. uh... There's no ads yet. Anyway, go on. <laughs> yet. Um, Adam, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter, at Adam Boltwood, or on YouTube, The Football Republic. Probably the best football channel in the world. Second but, to Lawrence. Uh, until then, guys, thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A malibu.com, code GLOW. Cut. Bye. See ya. Bye. Bye. See ya. Bye. Bye.